Friends, we're continuing our study in the book of John today. Uh, we have been in John for a while. We're still going to be in John for a little while longer. Um, I just want to just want to say again, Scott talked about it uh, just a little while ago. We had a great day yesterday. There really is just a privilege in being able to serve alongside brothers and sisters who are uh, working hard, um, who are working together to see what God might do, and um, it was a joy. Um, it was also a joy watching other people work on really nasty things and not having to do it myself. Um, and so it was pretty awesome. If you weren't there yesterday, I just want you to know, you missed out. Uh, the good news is we're going to be working there again next month. And so if you missed out yesterday, please come hang out with us. Come work again next month. That will be a shorter work day anyway. So you can get credit for being there for half the time. Uh, it would be a great opportunity to join in with what the Lord is doing. But on a serious note, and getting into the word, of the word of the Lord, and getting into the book of John, if you've been with us, you know where we are in the book of John, and we are in the final moments, right? The final day of Jesus' life. A couple weeks ago, we, we looked at his arrest. Last week, we began to look at the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ. A kangaroo court that would ultimately lead to the death of the most innocent man that has ever lived. A death that buys you and I freedom, that buys us salvation, that buys us the life that we never could have had apart from him. Today we're going to be looking at a story that John intersperses a bit with the trial, which is sort of stunning when you think about it. Because when you think about John, you think about the, where we are in chapter 18, and Jesus' trial, that should be the most important thing ever, right? But John interrupts the trial a bunch of times to look at what we're going to look at today, which is often known as Peter's denial. And let me just say this, and I want you to hear these words really well. There may not be another sound recorded in Scripture that is or should be more haunting to the Christian than the sound of the rooster crowing. If you're familiar with this bit of Scripture, you know that the, the rooster crow is the end. You know that this is that moment, and if you're a Christian... The sound in scripture that should horrify, terrify, make us deeply sad is the sound of the rooster crowing. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you've ever read through these passages, then you know that there are moments in your life where you have heard that rooster crow. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each in their Gospels, tell us that at the sound of the rooster's crow, Peter wept bitterly. At the sound of the rooster's crow, Peter wept bitterly. That's word for word. Luke, in his Gospel, adds a detail that Matthew and Mark didn't include, and John doesn't as well. That at the sound of the rooster, so what Luke tells us, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. If you are a Christian and you've been a Christian for more than about seven seconds, then you have heard that rooster crow. Not for someone else, but for you. Because if you've been a Christian for more than about seven seconds, you know that there is a time where fairly recently you denied our Savior. Now we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. I want to read through our passage today before we do. Some of you, if you're brand new to the faith and you've never been to church, you're like, why is this guy talking about a rooster? Right? I don't assume that everyone here knows the Bible. I don't assume that everyone here knows Scripture. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I have no idea what's on about this rooster and this rooster crowing, well, let's see. We're in John chapter 18, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter, Simon was one of Jesus' best friends, remember this, followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Verse 18, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Now we're going to jump over verses 19 through 24 to the rest of this story. We're going to talk about that jump later just so you know. Now Simon Peter was standing, this is verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. The sound of the rooster crowing is a sign of Peter's threefold denial. Peter had the chance to defend his faith. He had the chance to stand up for his friend and his Lord. And on three occasions in the same evening, Peter denied even knowing that man. Friends, we all have moments in our faith where we too have denied Jesus. Now I know and I hope, I suspect, that maybe even none of us have ever been put in the place where somebody walked up to us and said to us, do you believe in Jesus? If you do, there's going to be consequences. Most of us have never had a moment in our lives where we were threatened for believing what we believe, for knowing the Savior that we know. Now there might be some of us who may be in that situation at some point. I think about a number of of Calvary elders today, pastors, friends of mine, part of the Calvary family who are even right now in Bangladesh, 
where there can be consequences for believing. They're on a mission trip there, seeing how the Calvary family can get more and more involved over there. Because we have a group of missionaries who live there full time. And have begun to plant Calvary Bangladesh. Because we believe that Jesus is worth everything. Most of us, though, will not be in a situation, probably, maybe we will, where we are going to have that question asked and we are going to have the clear opportunity to say yes or no. I pray if we ever do that it would be, of course, what? Yes. I pray that we wouldn't be like Peter. Who's going to lay it all down in exchange for something else? But here's the reality, friends. We have all been in a situation where we have denied Jesus. Denial comes in many forms. There are those moments when we could have, when we should have spoken up, when we should have been ready with a reason for the hope that we have. Peter writes that later on. I think he learns his lesson pretty well. And yet remain silent and let a perfect opportunity to proclaim the goodness of God, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, to love someone well by sharing with them the plan of salvation and the need of Jesus. We let that opportunity pass by and the rooster crowed. There also are those moments when we went along with what everyone else was doing, despite knowing that by doing so we were acting against what God wanted us to do. We were given the opportunity to do something different for the glory of God, and we went along with all of the rest, not wanting to make waves, not wanting to embarrass ourselves, not wanting to draw attention to ourselves and the rooster crowd. There are also those moments when we've given in to the power of sin. We've embraced the propensity of our own sin, and instead of putting it to death, we fed it, we kept it alive, we let it grow in us. And the rooster crowed. Friends, I don't know the exact moments when the rooster has crowed in your life, but I can tell you, and I could tell you very specifically the moments in my life when the rooster crowed. If you are sitting here thinking, man, all I ever do is let the rooster crow, then you, my friends, are in good company. And that's what today's sermon's all about. There is no sermon in this passage about how to avoid it. There is no way to speak out of the verses that we have right here any more than a warning that this is going to happen to you. Hear this really well. Because Peter is in the best spot of his life to this moment. And yet he still denies Jesus. The rooster crows, friends, the rooster crows. Because if someone like Peter can deny Jesus on a night like this that we're reading about today in Scripture, then what hope do we have to not do the same? What chance do you and I have if Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, literally in the presence of Christ, close enough that when he denies him the third time, the rooster crows, Jesus looks at him. It tells us in the book of Luke. What hope do you and I have? If Peter, then you. And that's what we need to hear and deal with today. 
Before we get there, though, we just need to go back to that prediction that Jesus makes. This is where all this comes from, from John chapter 13, verse 38. I want to read this. We don't want to talk about it a lot because we did so a number of months ago. But we need to see where all this is coming from. We need to see the state of mind that Peter's in as he comes into this. It's John 13, 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Jesus answered, will you lay your life down for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And Peter is in this place, in this passage, where, man, he is on fire. He's walking forth with firmness, conviction. He's in a great spot. And if Peter's in such a great spot, and the end of this story lands with him denying him three times, and weeping bitterly, friends, what hope do we have? i got to be honest, I've been a Christian for like 28 years or something like that. And I've never been where Peter is. Friends, what we need to see is that Peter is in a place where this story starts that is so great. He is doing well. Now, you might say, well, is he really doing that well? I mean, Jesus asked him to pray, and he fell asleep, right? Jesus said, hey, I'm going to be arrested. He cut some guy's ear off. It's actually part of the point. The more Peter gets corrected, I mean, the better he is doing better next time, right? Like, he's already made two mistakes tonight. He should be all set to, to run through the rest of the night. Friends, I just want to say, as, as you read this story, we need to be aware that the odds of Peter making it through without denial, apart from Jesus' prediction that he wouldn't, is incredibly high. See, Jesus is always right, so we know that, that it wasn't going to go well for him. But apart from that prediction, there is no reason why we should think that Peter's going to do what Peter does here today. Right, there's a few things that we should see about Peter in this passage, about how well he's doing. First of all, guys, Peter loves Jesus. Peter loves Jesus. You see it all through this passage. Right? We, we, we saw it when he was getting arrested. Peter pulls out a sword. There's a crowd of people arresting Jesus. Peter alone grabs a sword and just starts swinging it around because he's defending his best friend. And now when all the rest of the disciples, minus one, have fled and they're running who knows where, Peter and one, we're going to talk about him in a minute, are the only ones who are still there. They follow at a distance, they, they come in, and they are not going to let Jesus out of their sight. Why? Because they love him. You say, man, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Friends, is loving Jesus enough? No. What? What do you mean, Pastor? What do you mean loving Jesus isn't enough? Well, we'll get there. He loves Jesus so much that he puts himself in harm's way. He, at this point, is willing to die. As he said earlier, he's willing to go into this. But his love isn't going to be enough. All right, what else does Jesus or Peter have going for him? He has foresight, right? The sovereign God told him this is going to happen. 
I've got to tell you, if someone came to me and said, all right, with certainty, this temptation is going to come upon you today. You know what I'm going to do? Everything but that. Right? Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, in foresight, knows exactly what's coming. He's as ready as any one of us has ever been in the face of temptation. Right? He is armed with the truth, the knowledge of what could or should happen. Is that enough? It's not. All right, not only does he love Jesus, not only does he have the foresight, but Peter also has the conviction. He has the conviction. He is committed to not failing. When everybody else has already fled, where's Peter? Peter's still doing what he said he was going to do. How many of us have so determined to prove someone wrong that nothing would stop us? I mean, I picture Peter's state of mind at this point. He's like, well, Jesus said I'm going to fail. I'm going to prove Jesus wrong. I mean, it's an idiotic thing to think and do. But I guarantee every one of us would be in that place. Every one of us is going to, with conviction, march forward knowing that we're not going to fail. Because we won't fail. I mean, I think about the number of times I've done stuff in life, even in ministry, just to prove someone wrong. People who doubted that we could bring a church back to life in Lahana, they're like, dude, that is a dumb thing to do. And I'm like, well, we're going to go prove you wrong. It's not for the glory of God, it's to prove them wrong. Right? I mean, how many times have, have you just decided you're going to do something not because it was a good thing to do, but because somebody told you you couldn't do it or wouldn't do it? He is, convic- he is conviction. I mean, think about us. How many of us have conviction to walk through life, to remain pure, to be in the Word? And here's the question. Is it enough? It's not enough. All right, so not only does he love Jesus, more than I think many of us could even think about loving Jesus, not only does he have the foresight to know exactly what's coming, not only does he have the conviction to do what he needs to do, but And this is stunning because I don't think I've ever noticed this before any other time I've ever read this passage. He's not alone. He's not alone. He has a brother with him. Here's what it says. I just want to highlight this again because somehow I've read this passage for like 30 years and have never once noticed that, that Peter's not in this courtyard alone. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. It's right there. How many times have you ever read through the story, and you just picture Peter standing there by himself? He's denying Jesus, and it's just surrounded by enemies. Wrong. He has somebody with him. Who? We don't know for sure. Most scholars think it's John, the guy who wrote all this. See, John often refers to himself in sort of this third-person amorphous form because he's trying to not put himself in the story. Now, others think this might have been somebody like Nicodemus, right? Someone, because it says that he knows the high priest. He's known to them. Guys, it doesn't actually matter whether it's John or Nicodemus or just some other random disciple who, who could get them in. The point is Peter's not alone. He has a brother with him. And I think about all the times in my life that having a brother with me kept me from sin, 
kept me from falling, kept me from denying. I mean, there is courage and boldness when you're with someone that you know is going to have your back, you know is going to hold you accountable. The number of times I have preached to men that what they need, and men, you need to hear this again. I've preached before women. You're not excluded from this. You need this too, just a woman. That we need brothers and sisters. Men, we need, we need men who are going to fight with us and for us and against the things we're fighting against. We need to stand back to back. Women, same thing. And if you're a Christian who's been trying to do this life all on your own, then you're a Christian who I'm pretty sure has probably been failing a lot. The trouble is, and let me just say this really clearly, that it's not enough, as evidenced by Peter in the story. Right here, Peter is. He's maybe feet away from John or Nicodemus or somebody else. And he has the opportunity to deny Jesus three times. I mean, one, I don't know if, if, if whoever this is is just failing Peter miserably. Like if I was standing next to a guy who just was consistently denying Jesus, I think I would punch him in the head. Dude, dude, wake up, right? Wake up. Stop what you're doing. In love, of course, right? Sometimes we have to be really good at, 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 at kind of throat punching each other for the sake of Jesus. I'm serious. Although, don't punch somebody in the throat. Okay, we need to hold each other accountable. We need to challenge each other. We need to speak up when the people around us are failing miserably. And Peter starts off so well. He has so much going for him, but it's not enough. We know the end of the story because we've already read it. Trouble with Peter is that Peter always seems to start off so well, and he always sort of fails to finish well, right? I mean, you got this story. You've got every other time he's spoken up earlier than this. He's like, Jesus, you're the best thing ever. And six seconds later, Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. Fast forward even to, to after the resurrection and, the, and the, the church. And Peter is loving and serving and leading the church. And, and Paul has the occasion to publicly dismi dismiss him, to publicly come against him because he was doing so well, but he's, he's gone off track. Peter doesn't finish well. We want to spend the rest of our time looking at what it looks like for Peter to not finish well. Because, man, he goes from such a great spot to such a low spot. And how many of us have gone from such great spots in our faith to such low spots? How many of us in the course of our faith, either rising or falling a long time ago or more recent, maybe you're in one right now where things were going so well and then all of a sudden they're just not? So in verse 17, let's look at Let's see how this lands for Peter. Maybe we can see some patterns for our own lives. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. All right, so the servant girl, let's talk about her for a minute. She is literally the doorkeeper, <laughs> right? It is her job to keep track of who is and who isn't in the home. Apparently, the disciple that's with Peter knows her in some capacity. And she lets them through. But as they're going through, she is wondering, who is this guy? And so she asks, aren't you one of the ones who was with Jesus? And 
he looks at the servant girl and he says no. Now, here's the thing. There's not a lot at stake here. Right? He says yes at this point, and she says, all right, we're going to need you to stay out of the courtyard. There's no consequence to telling the truth here. On the other hand, we, we might think, and, and, and honestly, I would kind of like to do this, even for the sake of this sermon, is that we might let Peter off the hook a little bit here. So should we ever let Peter off the hook? No, we shouldn't. But here's the deal. I think we need to let Peter off the hook here a little bit because he's got another priority. His biggest priority right now is what? I need to be with Jesus. Right? He is determined. And of course, that results in this lie. Now, it's the first denial of Jesus, so we should not let him off the hook too much. But, but he is so focused on his love for Jesus and his conviction and commitment to not fall away, to not flee, that he's going to will, be willing to do anything to just be there, to be there for Jesus. And that's really what I believe about Peter's, Peter's whole heart in this. He just wants to be near Jesus. He's not going to let him go. He's not going to abandon him. The trouble is, is that our motives and our actions matter. In this moment where Peter denies Jesus, he, he lets his faith falter, right? Because he could have said yes, and what might the Holy Spirit have done? What might God have done? God might have caused this girl to have a blind eye to what he said. He could have thought, you know what, if I tell the truth here, maybe God will get me through anyway. He reads stories about missionaries in, in dangerous places, in places where the word of God is illegal. There was an old book called The God Smugglers a number of years ago, if you ever read that book. It's about a, a missionary who basically would fill his entire car with Bibles. I mean, it was way more about than this. This is one of the stories he told. Fill the whole back seat with Bibles, and he would drive in, into communist Russia. And he would get to the border, and they would be like, hi, why are you here? And he would say, well, I'm, I'm here to bring Bibles into... And they would look in his back seat, and it's full of Bibles. That was all illegal. And they'd be like, all right, sir, go ahead. Why? Because God can do that. Because God can turn, can cause someone to turn a blind eye. But here's what happens for Peter, and this is what I think happens to a lot of us on the way to denying Jesus. It's these little things. It's these little things. The way a compromise is rarely a leap. It's usually a tiny little step. It's a, an errant word to a servant girl in the dark. Right? It's, it's one not great decision, followed by a little worse decision, before long, a terrible decision. And suddenly the rooster is crowing because we are denying Jesus. Amen? Verse 25, moving forward. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Things are getting worse for him. And this shouldn't surprise us. Because as we read this story, we should suddenly be realizing that even though Peter's motives have been really good up to this point, He's no longer where he's supposed to be. 
If we go back up to right before this, to verse 18, it says, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now this may seem fairly innocent, right? It's a cold night. Peter's trying to keep warm. The trouble is, is that the fire also produces light. And so they take notice of him. You don't really belong here, do you? See, the trouble is Peter, instead of standing in the shadows, right? Standing in the background, where maybe John or Nicodemus, whoever this other disciple is, Peter thinks, man, I'm cold. I want to be comfortable. And so he goes and he, as innocent as it seems, he goes to warm himself by the fire, but suddenly what is he doing? Suddenly he's standing amongst those that will bring danger. See, the first denial is, is a push to be where Jesus is. The second denial comes because he's no longer where he's supposed to be. Yes, he wants to be near Jesus, but now he is warming himself by the fire. He's surrounded by the enemy. James Montgomery Boyce ties this passage to Psalm 1, in which we are given a picture of a, of a blessed man, and we're also given the opposite picture. We're given a man, a picture of a man who walks in the counsel of the wicked, who stands in the way of sinners, and seats in the seat of, or sits in the seat of scoffers. See, Peter has moved from a, a good place to now associating being friendly with those very ones who had just arrested his Lord and Savior. And so when it comes to the question, they ask him, well, aren't you one of them? Well, the stakes have risen now, right? Because Peter is a criminal. An hour and a half before this, he pulled a sword out and struck an official in the head. If he tells the truth now, what's going to happen to him? But if he had just remained in the background, maybe he would have never gotten noticed. Verse 26, we see the third denial. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Right, the stakes are rising now. Because now he's not just the man who was with Jesus. Now he's the man who pulled the sword out and struck his cousin or his brother or whoever it was. This is a relative of the man who, whose ear got cut off. Pretty sure that if I was part of a group of people and somebody struck my brother or my cousin, I'm going to remember that guy. Peter is standing around a fire with the very people who had just arrested Jesus. And so he gets asked again, do you know this man? He says, no. He says, no. And the rooster crows. And Luke tells us that, that Jesus looks at him. Now the reason I say the rooster crows, I think is one of the, 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 the most terrible sounds in Scripture for the Christian is because I believe that we've all heard that rooster crow. And in that moment, we have also all seen the gaze of Jesus looking at us, saying, really? Really? 
I'm right here. The rooster crows. Jesus looks at Peter. Peter is crushed. And friends, this is where Peter should be. <laughs> right? In that moment when the rooster crows and Jesus looks at us, we should be crushed. Peter has the right heart here. Why? Because Peter still loves Jesus, even though his, his love is just not being seen very well. And this, I actually think, is why John jumps back and forth between the trial of Jesus and Peter's denial. See, because while Jesus is being tried in a kangaroo court, he too is being tried in the actions of Peter. And the verdict isn't good. See, in Peter's denial of Jesus, what he's doing is he is deciding in his heart at this moment that Jesus isn't worth it. He's decided when he talked to the servant girl that, that the truth wasn't worth it. He decided when he talks to these other and he denies that he know, even knows Jesus, that his safety, that his life, that his fear, his worry is all more important than Jesus. And the truth of the matter, friends, is that when we deny Jesus, when we hear that rooster crow, you know what we're doing? We're deciding that whatever that thing is, is more worth it than Jesus. That is what it means to deny Jesus. The one who is worth everything. I mean, as, as we sang just a little bit ago in worship, you're all I want, you're all I need, you're all I ever desire. We're singing that, and in my heart, I'm singing it, and I'm going, Lord, I know this isn't true. Please make it true. Because every time we don't, we are denying Jesus, and the rooster crows. So here's Peter, in his own heart, judging Jesus to not be worthy denying his Lord and Savior, his friend who's right there. But what is Jesus doing at this, this exact moment? Jesus isn't denying him. He's not denying him. Just pause on that for a minute. They're, I don't know, 30, 40 yards apart at the most. Jesus is every bit aware of what's going on with Peter and what's going on in our hearts even today and every day. And while we're denying him, while Peter's denying him, Jesus is still faithfully marching forward. Jesus is still going, I'm going to do this. Church, we need to hear this really, really well. Because there's a lot of times when we think that what we're doing or what we have is enough. But it's not enough. There's only one thing that's enough, and that's Jesus. So church, when we have those moments when, when, when we hear that rooster crow and we know, man, I'm just like Peter, we know we don't lose heart because we know that Jesus isn't denying us. And that's the promise that we're made in Scripture. That when we have confessed him, and hear this really well, Peter had confessed Jesus. In fact, Peter's one of the only ones who ever did before this moment. Jesus says, who am I? 
And Peter just takes this gigantic leap and he says, you're, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you're the Lord. And what happens because of that, on this moment, Jesus doesn't deny him. Despite the fact that Peter's in the middle, yet again, of denying Jesus. Church, there are so many times when we deny him, turn against him, stand against him. But Jesus isn't denying us. That there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God, Christ, and Christ Jesus. If we are in him. If we have confessed him. Peter's hope, I think, going into this was in himself. Was in his own conviction. I mean, I think he had enough conviction to say Jesus is wrong about this. I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it. He says, I've got my brother with me. We're going to march forward, right? It's not enough. But at the end of this night, and I think you see it marching forward after the resurrection, Jesus comes to him. We'll read about that story after Easter. It would be awesome when Jesus takes this whole thing and undoes it. I think by the end of this night, I think even Peter may get it. He goes into it thinking, it's all about me. I've got this. I can do this. And at the end of the night, he's going, Jesus has this. And I think that's part of what crushed him. I think that's part of what crushed him. Peter's hope was always in Jesus, even when he didn't know it. And church, you need to hear this. Your hope is in Jesus, even if you don't know it right now. Your hope has always been in Jesus. He is the only one to have hope for and that is why later on, when, when Peter's recovered from a lot of this, he writes a book and he says, look, you need to always have the reason for the hope that you have. Because it's a hope that he discovered when he failed. And when he fell, and when he, when he denied Jesus. And church, I just pray that, that, that if you are someone who has been a Christian and you hear that rooster crow, that, that you would take a step back and say, my hope is in Jesus, not in what I'm doing, not in what I've been. And I pray that right now, if you're in this room right now and you have never confessed Jesus, you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, that you would hear these words, that you would recognize that the Jesus that I'm even speaking about right now is, is calling out to you and he's saying, look, if you would confess me, Believe in me, proclaim me, then I will never deny you. I will never deny you. Come to me. Come to me. Would you pray? God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that there's an entire passage of scripture that tells us that we're going to fail miserably. I thank you for that. Because in those moments when, when we fail miserably, when we've put our hope and our trust in other things, in ourselves, our own abilities, God, that we would know at the end of all of it that there was only ever one hope, and that hope is you. And so, God, I pray that you would impress that upon our hearts. I pray your spirit would work and move in us in such a way, God, that we would know, that we would know that you are even now confessing us before the Father. God, I thank you and praise you for your love. A love that loved us first.
And God, I pray that we would hear and receive and know you so well. God, we thank you and praise you. And we come before you, Lord. Amen. Church, we do come to communion now. The